Hello, everybody. Happy holidays. I hope you're having a nice get-together with your families and that sort of thing. And I thought I'd bump up another episode because it's timely and an important subject. We're going to be talking about depression. Uh, Holidays can be wonderful. They can be great get-togethers. And they can also lead to all sorts of different stressors for people. One of the big ones including depression. So I thought it'd be a, a good, timely timely time, sure, why not, uh, to, uh, to address the subject, one of my favorite subjects anyway. So we're doing that. And guys, I was, uh, I'm, I'm really happy. I kind of at the end of last week's podcast, I just, for kind of kicks, because I was excited that Lost Sailor design the leather workers they uh had made me some some new ayahuasca keychains for the upcoming tour and so i threw them a little plug and lo and behold a bunch of you guys actually reached out to them and ordered some stuff jared with lost sailor reached out to me thanking me for that and actually offered you guys um an offer code i don't know why i didn't think of this on my own earlier uh, I mean to support and plug all of the artists that I work with and uh, and art generally, especially good stuff. One of the coolest things about the the tours that I'm doing now is I actually have awesome, cool merch for after my shows that's memorable and fun. And I don't know how many of you have been to comedy shows, but that's not always the case with comedians merch. So if you're looking for some holiday gifts, like say a purse, like I've gotten as a, as a gift for, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, girlfriend before and I I have a wallet from them myself that I've had for like four years now or something three years and uh, but they have all sorts of belts and journals and everything else really cool stuff beautiful um, stylish uh, trippier patterns animal stuff it's uh, so much uh, best best leather art you will ever see. They're a fourth generation leathersmith. Go to lostsailorleather.com and enter here we are 20 for 20% off the entire order one time. By the way, I'm not getting anything for for doing this. I'm not getting paid uh, any for doing this. I'm just supporting a friend who makes me awesome stuff to sell at my shows. And I really believe in what they're doing. So you go to Instagram at, at Lost Sailor Leather to check out more of his stuff. By the way, guys, I've been doing more stuff on Instagram lately. If you go to Shane Moss Comedy, I've been trying to post a few more things, give people a little taste of some of the subject matters that we're talking about, and stand up science once in a while, a goofy photo here and there, and all of this has me uh, realizing, have I plugged Ramin Nazer's Instagram, my good friend Ramin Nazer, who helped launch this podcast, and made the the good trip poster, he made the original logo for this podcast, he, he made uh, the new Head Talks poster, and his work, absolutely 
brightens my day. And if you follow him on Instagram, it's it, he has like a, a new piece of art every. I don't even know how he does it. It's incredible. But he has all sorts of different comic books and shirts and postcards and stuff like that that make for really interesting, creative gifts. He's he's like a he he's like a um, I don't know like a a very a very funny cartoonish like uh oh what like confucius or something like that very 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 wise interesting stuff done in a in a fun way and i don't have an offer code to give you guys but he's always posting different offers and sales and stuff on on his instagram so make sure and check out his stuff again no one's paying me to say this um it's it's just uh cool things with people i believe in if you want to support this show with something you could get someone a gift of an audiobook subscription that does support the show uh, you can go to libro.fm the only independent uh uh bookstore um audiobook partner your your audiobooks are downloaded through your local independent bookstore that you Click on and support. Other than that, it's the same price, same catalog as any other audiobook company. And offer code here we are. You'll get three months for the price of one. I get that money. And they're hoping that you're going to stick around um, after the three months, which I'm sure you will. And so it's a good way of supporting the show. It's a good way of supporting local independent bookstores. And with that, enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am in Buffalo, New York. I'm talking with Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of Buffalo, Kristen Narragon Ganey, everybody. Hi. I, I got it. That's right. Yep. Ah, first try. <laughs> I never get an intro on a first try. Well, that's good luck, I think. Maybe not. We'll see. It's never happened before, so who knows? And <laughs> we'll I'm like see. frazzled. I'm like, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. You were asking me if I've been to Buffalo before. I've only been uh, a few times. Mm-hmm. And have you ever heard the thing, the sentence, Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. You haven't heard that. I have no. So it's it's Buffalo can be a verb to mean to bully, and so it's Buffalo from the city of Buffalo who bully Buffalo from the city of Buffalo. They themselves bully buffaloes from the city of Buffalo, and so it's a so so it's an actual sentence. I don't know why I thought this. I just assumed that people in buffalo would be familiar with that fun little linguistic thing i've definitely missed it but maybe i'm the only one no you aren't no because (laughs) i walked on stage that's how i opened a show i walked on by saying buffalo 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 and just blank stares as everyone just thought i was like having a stroke or something and uh and so that's my 
fondest memory of Buffalo. Yeah. It's uh, a good fun fact. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and you're heading to Australia soon. I am. Yeah. That's an first. upgrade. Sorry, Buffalo, but... Uh, I, I love Buffalo, but yeah, I am excited to, to check out Australia. Very cool. Where are you going to be over there? I'll be in Perth at, at the University of Western Australia. Awesome. Well, maybe I'll come visit you there yeah? sometime. Oh, I love Australia. One yeah. Of my favorite places. So uh, let's get into uh, into your work and uh, what you do. So what's your what's your research? I'm pretty excited to talk to you because depression is an aspect of your research. Mm-hmm. My listeners know I have I have some depression issues. Mm-hmm. I just had like a little two month bout recently. It's usually like a, a, a I like to get in there for like a like a nice two month just like real <laughs> deep dive into the darkness and yeah. kind of think about giving up on everything for a while and. Then, Usually, I come away with it for, with a few new ideas to mm-hmm. improve my life and, and yeah. move forward. But it's an important subject to me, and uh, and 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 people are happy that I share my experience because there's a lot of people out there. Oh yeah, and if it, I th- people don't realize how many because it's not talked about so often. But no, oh, I can't stop blabbing about it. Um, but that's I, I'm a comedian where we are over disclosures. That's, yeah, that's yeah. what we get paid to do. Um, so uh, tell me about your background. Um, so my research focuses on depression and anxiety. Um, I've looked at that mostly in adults, but what I'm really interested in is how emotions work, like when things are going well, as well as for people who, you know, are prone to things like depression and anxiety. So, so I'm just really interested in kind of that subjective experience of emotion, of sort of the context that leads to certain types of emotions. And then lately I've really focused on not just what people experience, but what they do with that. So how people react to their emotions and the consequences of those different ways that people can respond to them. Hmm. Would you say that, well, I wonder if this is a good example from my personal life. I wonder if it's helped or not. I, I feel like being being interested in emotions as a whole has some kind of protective value to it in terms of your approach to dealing with different emotional states when mm-hmm. anxiety when it, when depression comes up your your reaction to it of of either avoiding it or just letting it engulf you or or just uh, maybe acting too quickly on anxiety or something right. like that um, to have that kind of curiosity towards it is i I don't do it every day uh i i wish i practiced what i what i preach but when i find myself being curious about those states it's uh it it it's so much more manageable like sometimes i like to think about my emotions as as like you know is this like a warning or something Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like if I have like depression come up, it's like it's like Lassie trying to say something to Timmy or something. Right. Like, like, what's that, boy? <laughs> <laughs> Are my dreams stuck in the well? Uh, and and like I I'm like oh maybe I need to just change something in my life or um, you know I mean I, I yeah. have it, that's that's really kind of the evolutionary idea of emotions is that they're there to give us pretty important information about you know like. The demands of the environment around us internally does something need attention does it need to change and so the you know emotions really have a strong kind of like motivational pull or action tendency um and so if you take something like anxiety you know if people never felt that um they might not kind of have that drive to um 
for example, to study for an exam, right? Mm -hmm. Or to, to do some things that are really important or might protect them from danger. So yeah, that kind of like, I guess being open and attuned to them, I think can be really helpful. You know, it's possible to go too far and kind of get immersed in them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when things are working well, they're really informative. Hmm. It, it, it is tricky with, with something like anxiety where, well, you know, my favorite, my absolute favorite time to do anything is the last minute. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, oh, that's such a precious minute. <laughs> I feel like it's just like everything's really firing. Like yeah. and, and it's like incredible. This is like a superpower what I'm getting done in this minute. <laughs> Why don't I have this all of the time? But it was also, it's often anxiety that made me put things off mm -hmm. so much in the first place. Now anxiety is helping me correct right. the damage from the past anxiety. So it's, it's you know, this quote unquote same uh, emotion is driving you in two different ways, depending on the context. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of a good example of like different ways we can respond to that same emotion, right? So at some points, uh, you might deal with it by just like putting things off, avoiding it, when that's not so much of an option, at, you know, eventually, then it might be fairly helpful, right? And really just like keeping you sharp and like really doing mm -hmm. what you have to do. Yeah, have to is the key. <laughs> right. Like I don't, I don't do anything that I don't, uh, for the most part. I love doing this podcast. I don't necessarily have to be here, but mm -hmm. but most most things in life, I I I don't do unless I absolutely have to and. But it is amazing what the the human mind can do um, under the um, constraints of necessity. Yeah, yeah, and I think some people really thrive with that. Others, not so much, you know. Mm. And and even what you have to do can shift, right? I mean, how much? What do we really have to do? In some, you know, uh, do we really have to go to work, for example? And so, you know, there are people for whom that that becomes something that they just can't, you know, do as well. And and so I think that really depends on the circumstances. Mm. But yeah. Well, I've asked this question many, many times on the podcast, and it's because I get very different answers. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that kind of you, you tell someone about these evolved um, uh, drivers these these emotions being this kind of software that drives behavior that's evolved over this time and you talk about something like fear or anxiety and you can explain this to anyone in in a minute and it will make perfect sense then you take something like depression and it gets a lot more confusing mm -hmm. uh, uh, about where is the um wh what is the utility uh, in, in depression, what is the adaptive value in, say, um, uh, going uh, like hiding under under my sheets all day, yeah. trying to cry? Yeah. Often can't can't cry. Just tr trying to. I don't know. If, have you ever tried to cry and couldn't? <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. real like pathetic kind of. Like, oh, I just need. Can't a. even do those. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're supposed to like snort onions or something like that at that time. I don't, I don't know, but that's that's always just one of the more depressing feelings. Of right? Like, ah, come on. Um, but so so what's going on here? It, it, fear, pain. Sure, get get your hand off that off that 
um, hot oven, uh, mm-hmm. a- anxiety, you know, avoid this threat or yeah, protect get yourself, your, yeah. or get your stuff done. It could be this real, you can become really productive. Maybe it's just that we live in such a productive, uh, there's so much social pressure to be productive mm-hmm. that we don't see value in sitting around as much. So it seems like such a, um, uh, big like deficit or something, right? Um. So, but but what what what's your take or the common take on uh evolutionary function of depression? Yeah. So I guess I would think of kind of like the core emotion underlying depression is sadness, right? And so, um, the evolutionary function there, as I think of it, is kind of cueing you to step back, slow down, and kind of take care of yourself in some ways. So like, I think this makes the most sense if you think of it after a major loss, like after someone you care about dies. Um, the sort of action tendency associated with depression and sadness is to just withdraw, right? To kind of isolate, to stop being so involved in all the different things that are going on in your life. Um, and so I think that can be a really healthy response in the face of like, a major loss that you just need to process that you need to kind of like give yourself some space and some time that maybe we might otherwise not be motivated to take um but but yeah i agree it's not as like intuitive as to how or why that that can be helpful um and i guess the tricky thing is like where's the boundary there like when is it time to get back you know engaged in your life and um mm. kind of move on from that well as you as you put it like that of say dealing with a loss because it it certainly makes sense if someone is physically ill if you if you have a sickness mm-hmm. or you just broke your foot or something like that makes all sorts of sense to right you need lay, to rest. lay down and <laughs> yeah. rest for a while it is it that would you say i i don't know this maybe you'll indulge me in speculating anyway mm-hmm. um that psychological pain is is kind of being perceived in the same way in the brain and and maybe that's why it's almost like an injury when when someone important in your life dies it's yeah. it's kind of almost something in the brain is perceiving it in the same way and it's like well here's what we do when we're right uh, when we're experiencing we pain and when we're sick yeah that's an interesting idea i i I would just be speculating. I don't know for sure. Um, But I guess in the sense of like, you know, kind of a broader threat to your well-being and sort of integrity. um, Yeah, I I think that's possible. Hmm. So uh, let's get let's get into your work a a little more specifically. How do you Mm -hmm. go about testing something like this? Yeah. You you just put a uh ad out there like hey all you uh all all calling all sad people yeah (laughs) get out of bed and rush over to the university so we can prod you with our instruments right just what people want to do when they're feeling (laughs) depressed right yeah i mean the good and bad thing is that these are such common experiences right things like depression anxiety um are so prevalent uh and i guess another way that i think about this and study it is you know, some people who do my research studies would like meet criteria for these disorders, right? They'd have like clinically significant levels. Um, But we know that 
anxiety and depression is really more of like a continuum versus like you have a disorder or you don't. And so there's even more people who may not like be diagnosed with the disorder, but have, you know, elevated levels or like symptoms associated mm. with this. So my approach is generally not to only seek people with, with a disorder, like depression or some sort of anxiety, um, but to broadly just kind of invite a broad range of people in knowing that naturally there's going to be a lot of variability in how, uh, like the extent or severity of the symptoms they have. Hmm. So uh, how do you, uh, what's a test look like? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do this. Part of what I do is like a clinical interview where we will go through like diagnostic criteria with a, myself or a student who's a psychologist. Um, and get a lot of detail about their specific experiences and kind of map that on to, you know, diagnostic criteria. Um, we also have people just fill out these sort of surveys that are kind of about their symptoms in general. Um, but what I've turned to increasingly is uh, assessing people's experiences as they happen in close to real time in daily life. So, for example, you know, most many people have smartphones. We can just send um, text messages at random times throughout the day with a link. And they click the link, and there's a really brief survey just asking them, you know, for example, about their depression and anxiety right now. And so I really like that because it's just, it's hard to summarize about these things. Like, even over the past one week or two weeks, you know, for many of us, our mood may have been up and down, and it's hard to remember. Um, so this really captures those fluctuations as they happen. Wait, so so you can you explain that again? You yeah. check in at different intervals. So either through like a text message, or there's different ways this can work. But we basically send people okay. at random times throughout the day these right, little right, surveys. Right, 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 right. And okay. so I, I wanted to make sure that I heard that right because yeah. I, I had the reason I I I don't know I'm. The, the methodology is a little strange sometimes. So I had, I, I, I did one clinical study ever in my life and it was mm -hmm. to like quit um, drinking or something like that. It was, it was some pill. I don't think that I got the placebo. I think I got the actual yeah. thing mostly because it made my stomach hurt. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it was, and I, I had, uh, yeah, most people would say I had some um, pretty big alcohol issues mm -hmm. uh, um, years ago. And so I had a watch. Let me see if I'm remembering this right. And I think like three times throughout the day, watch would go off. Yep. And I would rate how, like scale from one to 10, how much I wanted a drink at that moment. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about it's it was, similar. it was like, I was just going about my day. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the watch would go off. And I'd be like, well, I could go <laughs> for a drink it. right now. And, yeah. and so how, how do you know? Because even, even the way in which you phrase the questions might prime people in different ways too. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really important issue. Like you're describing reactivity basically, right? Where just completing the survey itself might change the phenomenon we're trying to understand. Um, so I think the extent to which that sort of reactivity happens varies depending on what you're studying. Um, but I think especially as people do this, like in some of my studies, they might respond to really short surveys like six times a day for a week or 10 days. So I think over time, those judgments become kind of quicker. And I don't know, a little like you don't have to think quite as much, you get used to it. And it's more just 
like kind of what you're talking about earlier with just like being aware of your emotions, right? It's just helping you kind of like track those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely kind of a danger that, that for example, um, the more you ask about something, that changes people people's experience of that thing. Mm. Especially like, uh, you know, I'm in a study. I'm, I'm hoping you're going to get some good results. And, yep. and this is going to further science. So... Maybe, you know, the thing goes, and I'm like, oh, I got some great depression for you to, right. to share. Do you, you must have people in your life that people are probably more open with you than the average person yeah. about, about yeah. their <laughs> negative emotions, yep. right? They, they, they must, they must like get excited to talk, <laughs> talking to you about like, oh, last week, here's how anxious I was. Um, yeah. It, and uh, oh, it's funny. I was uh, now that I'm thinking about it, on the way in here, I was sharing an anxiety that I had last night with a Airbnb host. That's right. Uh, yeah. Maybe I mean, it's just, just it's like everywhere, you know. Naturally yeah. coming out, <laughs> out of me. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, how do you? Because on the surface, it definitely seems like what a great way to capture people in their natural environment rather than just having them come in once and take right. a take a survey and then like oh how have you been feeling over the last year or whatever that's yeah. not telling you that much but there are, are there different ways about has it been have you tried i mean do you use like different groups of people and and do it in different ways different methods or is it all the same yeah i mean they're different ways that can work that you kind of depend on the specifics of your question. Um, so sometimes you just send these random surveys, right, when it's something kind of ongoing and you just want to capture snapshots. But for other things, maybe you're only interested in asking those questions when something happens, right? So for example, I did a study where I was really interested in how people regulate their emotions. And so in order for that to be relevant, they need to be like kind of experiencing a you know, a substantial emotion at the time. So they would wait until they experienced a relatively strong emotion, and then they would kind of initiate that report. Um, But another big piece of it is just, this does interrupt people's lives. You know, I think it really does provide much more like accurate and rich information, but we have to balance that with making sure it's not too um, burdensome or demanding for people. Because I know when I tried the study myself, it, it's a lot, you know, to, you know, numerous times a day kind of stop what you're doing and answer these. So we try to make sure it's, you know, it's sort of worth it and that um, we minimize that disruption. Not just adding another layer of stress. Yeah, on yeah. <laughs> and sometimes people are, they'll be anxious if they miss one. So we try to really, you know, reassure people, like, do your best. But, you know, we had, mm. we totally understand this. Sometimes you just can't stop what you're doing or you don't hear it or whatever. So Listen, this is a super chill depression and anxiety mm-hmm. study right. that you're participating <laughs> in. How did, how did you get so... Uh, it, it, what got you down this path in the first place? Yeah. So I think I was just kind of like exposed to thinking a lot about emotions and disorders, partly because um, my dad is a therapist he's a clinical social worker Uh and so that was just sort of like i don't know thing i was around growing up um and i mean i think partly just because you do we all experience to some degree you know like uncomfortable anxiety or depression and then i think everybody knows people or experiences themselves like more extreme levels of that at, at some point um so i think just the i don't know it's just something that um was so common and i got to know some people for whom it really was you know, impairing their life and really impacting their life. Um, 
And I guess I've always been kind of drawn to like, I don't know, sort of like dark psychological movies and books and things like that. Mm. And just uh, just find it really interesting and uh, see a need for, for helping with that. So, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm from a small town in Wisconsin originally where my experience, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people had different family situations and stuff, but I, I had like a very leave it to beaver, like Pleasantville-ish <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of upbringing. And I just like, it was, it was very confusing to <laughs> me because I also, I found life confusing. I didn't like school. I was, I was depressed all the time, but every, there was just so much social pressure yeah. to just be like smiling yeah. and talking about, you know, you talk about the sports and the weather and that's it. And we don't, right. you know, you know, no, no one, um, ever talked about like the meaning of I, I remember being like three or four and starting to ask questions about life or death or god mm-hmm. or whatever and uh you know that being kind of dismissed right and it's just like no <laughs> nothing of any substance here let's just let's just keep it nice and simple and everyone yep. keep a smile on your face all of the time and it, I wonder how much it did impact me because it definitely I I went inwards quite a bit mm-hmm. and repressed it and couldn't really talk about it and then as soon as I could as soon as I was a comedian I like w- <laughs> I went so far the other way yeah. and like overcorrected and like let me tell you how pointless all of this is <laughs> still do quite a bit mm-hmm. um and uh so so that's that's why I've always been um fascinated by uh y- you know like uh, have you seen the movie The Road? No, I haven't. Oh man, I should see that. Oh yeah, I like yeah. Uh, it's, it's McCarthy, right? I like his other stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. it's exceptionally dark, or yeah. like a Requiem for a Dream, yep. or something like that. that. Like, yeah, ooh, yeah, that's... the kind of thing some people are like. I that's just too too much, too disturbing. I, yeah, yeah, I those are my like favorite ones. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, so then, what what was your what was your path in school? So. You went to an advisor, and you were just like, "I wanna, I wanna get into the darkness." Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I sort of debated about what I want to do for a career uh, because I also was pretty into music growing up. So I played like piano and then organ. Um, so I kind of felt like I always had these two like dual. Like I could see myself going either way for those careers. Um, so I like I double majored in college. I was like undecided, and then. Decided after that, like, okay, I'm going to just really practice a lot and see what happens, like, see where I get, see how I feel um, about that. And so so I did a master's degree in organ performance after that mm. and just, like, really honed in on that. Um, and it was great, but, like, it really clarified for me, like, I love music, I'm still involved with music, but, like, psychology was really the right, like, career and focus for me. Mm. So then I kind of started getting involved in research and you know, changed directions a bit and applied for a PhD. Bet MGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 money line wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. And there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 
21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. How much would you say in your lifetime or even in your career um, things have changed? Well, your upbringing is so much different than mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Where where I I imagine you guys are having open conversations about these sorts of things all the time. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. From... My perspective, the way that it looked, in in I, you know, went from kind of a growing up into a bubble to maybe expanding outside of that, and maybe that's mm-hmm. biasing my opinion. But it seems like um, things are moving in the direction of of people becoming a lot more interested in, um, sympathetic towards different mental health issues mm-hmm. or our negative emotional states and it used to it seems for me it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that there was still a lot of like pull up your bootstraps kind right. of kind of talk that doesn't feel that distant um i think it still happens from time to time yeah and uh is it i wonder if that's just been on a continuum for a long time or if there's something that's happened within science within psychology within therapy in the last few decades that's has changed the even therapy itself i mean Mm -hmm. i mean sure it seems like it's a lifetime ago for me the 39 years old to go back three decades but that is a sliver of time and in that time it seems like culture has gone from therapy is like this very stigmatized thing that like maybe a couple people in like new york or something like <laughs> right. like woody allen or something like that goes to a therapist um to uh, now if you're not going to a therapist it's like yeah. what what's going on yeah. yeah i think there really has been a pretty dramatic shift um and I, I i don't know what all the forces are contributing to that but i think partly um people have developed a more like i think accurate and complex view of you know, psychological difficulties from seeing just sort of like, oh, that person's crazy and that's it, to, you know, understanding the role of the environment. Or I, th- I think there's just like a different um, cultural understanding of what that means and a normalizing of that that's been really positive. And then I think it's, it's sort of this two-way street where as it becomes a little more accepted, people are willing to talk about it more. As that happens, you know, stigma decreases further. Um, but yeah, I think people have begun to see therapy as not just something that you do if you're like really, really struggling, although you certainly can, uh, but also to some degree for self-improvement or, you know, that maybe most people could benefit from Mm -hmm. some therapy at some point. I mean, it seems like you're in a fortunate position. It seems like you picked a great time in history (laughs) to get into the sadness game. (laughs) It seems like there's a lot of demand for it right now. Pretty lucrative for for some pharmaceutical companies and stuff as well. I mean, it, it seems... That's the other strange thing to me is it seems like people people were um, much more ready to you know take a pill or you know try some um, uh, some prescription long before going into a therapist's office. It seemed like yeah I, yeah that's another change that's happening. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it still varies a lot, um, but 
Yeah, I do think there's more of an openness to that. And just a recognition. I mean, I think for some people, medication really helps a lot and that may be sufficient. But, you know, with something like therapy, the difference is you're learning specific things that you can then apply as needed in the future, you know, in a way that um, the medication might not have those same lasting effects. Mm. All right. So back to your work. Yeah. Uh, what about some of your findings? So you go, uh, you remind people about sadness a few times a day. <laughs> For a while, you collect the data. What what are you discovering from this research? Yeah, so um, from some of our recent studies, we've been really interested in, in like how people try to change or like respond to their emotions, and then what happens as a result of that. Um, so one of the things we found is that first of all, there's a lot of different ways people try to regulate their emotions, which I think makes sense if you just we think about our own experiences, right? Um, you might try to distract yourself, you might call a friend, you might drink. Um, and so people often use numerous, what we call like strategies at a time, right? You might try a whole bunch of different things to try to like feel less sad or to, uh, you know, feel more happy. Um, so one thing that we learned was that we can kind of group all the different ways that people try to regulate their emotions into like a few sort of categories. Um, so those include um, just like any attempts to disengage with the situation or the feeling. Um, a second kind of like type of strategy that people may use is um, kind of perseverating on how they're feeling, even though they really don't like it. So kind of being like stuck in rumination while at the same time wanting to get rid of the sadness. And there's kind of a cycle that happens there. Um, can you define perseverating for me? I like so, learning a new word. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, I guess, staying kind of stuck and repetitively going back to the same mm. thing. Okay. So... Um, I gathered from when you said rumination, but I still, yeah. I never heard that word before. Yeah, that's that's one we use sometimes, but I don't, <laughs> I, I don't even know if it's real. But <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's this group of more like kind of like engaging with um, the emotion that that often has more adaptive outcomes. Hmm. And so yeah, we tracked how those different groups of strategies then relate to like in the moment or like a few hours later, how depressed or anxious you feel or like your your mood state and mm. found that uh, some like different patterns across those different groups. Well, I'm going to get back to those three, but what about the uh, fourth one everyone knows, uh, whiskey? <laughs> yeah. Like, what about that <laughs> well, strategy? You know, it was surprising because we did, we asked people among like I think we assessed maybe 13 different strategies, and one of them was, um, to what extent did you use substances to change how you were feeling? And we actually couldn't really analyze it because it was so rarely endorsed. So I, I don't know what, what that says about our sample. I know. Come on. So it's just like a, maybe they didn't want to say. I guess the world has, yeah, maybe they didn't want to say. But really, like, or, I think. Or the world has changed even more dramatically than I was already even talking I know. about. I know. I, yeah, it was like maybe three percent of occasions, three or five percent. That would someone weird. endorse that? But but also, um, you know, it's it's something. I don't know if you have you have thoughts on this, but um, speaking of uh, evolution and what's adaptive and coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. it seems like uh, drugs are not the most beneficial uh, <laughs> things for for folks uh -huh. but but despite your your survey 
Um, and I, I'm not, I've, I've, I have done all sorts of, um, I've used all sorts of substances to cope and also just to have fun and mm-hmm. out of curiosity and exploration and everything else. Um, but it, I think, um, uh, I think a fair amount of people do use substances yeah, to cope I with things, so obviously. <laughs> and it, is it just that, is it that these substances are just so much more potent and concentrated than our evolutionary past where maybe there was an actual adaptation in, in, in the way that like chewing on cocoa leaves used to increase focus a little bit for hunting, mm-hmm. you know, be like a cup of coffee or something. Like right. Or I don't know if you've ever had cacao. Have you ever heard I of it? I haven't. I love uh, chocolate, but I haven't had the it's, raw. Oh, it's pretty fantastic yeah um but it's it's like uh it's like coffee but without and it's it's like slightly i'm not even sure it's legal necessarily mm-hmm. but um it's done like ceremonially in places yeah. so anyway i asked i'm like what are we drinking coffee for this is ridiculous <laughs> it's, it's like coffee except a little more euphoric and uh, but you know it's not like doing some like quote-unquote hard drug or whatever yeah, yeah. and so maybe it was the case that some of these substances would kind of have a little bit of a benefit back when they were just like these mild little yeah. things that you do once in a while as needed. And then when they became a concentrate, now they're hyper addictive and and right. causing a lot of harm. Is, is that what's going on? Because it seems very maladaptive to uh, treat one's depression or anxiety by... Uh, getting blackout drunk yeah but all yeah. sorts of people do it <laughs> yeah i think it's just the or primarily the like intensity and immediacy of the effect right like you can feel better pretty rapidly and so we know from um you know learning theory and kind of principles of conditioning basically you know you're feeling really bad you let's say drink a bunch um because you don't want to feel that way and then pretty quickly you feel better right so that behavior um becomes reinforced over time due to that really reliable and pretty strong increase in mood. And so long-term, it's not great for you, right? And it's maybe, it's keeping those negative emotions going, but in the moment, it's really helping. And that's, you know, what not just humans, but like animals most strongly respond to is those immediate kind of proximal That's me all over the place. Like a nice short-sighted solution. (laughs) And even, you know, even without sort of consciously like being aware of that happening, that that's going to drive our decisions and behaviors down the road. Yeah. So. Um, oh yeah. I, I want to feel better right now. And then I want to do stuff like tasks tomorrow. Right. It's always my favorite yeah, time. So short-term, long-term trade-off. Um, <laughs> uh, so when, when the, uh, when you're looking at the disengage, um, uh, perseverating uh so there's disengagement and then a separate one was i call it it's sort of an awkward name but aversive cognitive perseveration perseveration <laughs> yeah aversive cognitive perseveration yeah. so you Gosh, keep that you... sounds fancy <laughs> i like it that's the point i guess no. and, and then uh and then engage mm-hmm. what's going what are you what are you measuring here how, how are you determining who's what doing what in the first place yeah so we're just we're asking people um after they experience a relatively strong emotion we ask them about a bunch of different strategies like i think 
maybe 12 or 13 or something like that. Um, so that includes things like distraction or reappraisal, um, even just accepting how you're feeling, uh, you know, social seeking social support. And then we get everybody's responses. And, you know, of course, there's differences between people, but also differences within a person. So on one occasion, they might do one thing. On another, they might do something totally different. Um, and that's that makes sense, given that the context changes over time. Um, so once we get all those responses, we can then sort of let the data tell us what the patterns are, the groupings are across those strategies. And so that's how those groupings were derived, not so much from... Um, sort of an overarching theory, but just seeing, okay, what do these data say about which of these co-occur together? Mm, okay. So what what's something like disengage look like? What what questions are you asking? Yeah. For? So that is includes, um, I think distraction is a really key one, which distraction can be interesting because sometimes it's really adaptive, right? Like we do need to just like kind of get unstuck and shift our attention elsewhere. Um, but it can also be used in sort of this a... This message sponsored by Netflix. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it can also be used really as like avoidance, right? Like maybe you really should deal with this thing, but you just you just don't want to, and so you distract yourself. Um, so that was a kind of primary marker of disengagement, but also, um, and I'm trying to remember them all, like low levels of mindfulness. So we can think of define mindfulness as just like kind of being aware of the present moment. Um, so when people were distracting themselves, probably not too surprisingly, they also really weren't like paying attention to what, you know, was going on at that current mm. moment. Um, hmm. I think those are the main ones. There's some others there, but yeah. Hmm. But so I guess we all use these at different times mm -hmm. in our lives. So I'm like, am I a disengager? <laughs> Uh, in in situations I have been yeah. uh, okay. So, what kind of questions are for um, pers uh, perseverating? Mm -hmm. Perseverating. Uh, what was the what was the super? I'm gonna write down. <laughs> man, I'm gonna impress somebody That's... tomorrow. What was the? It was aversive uh, cognitive perseveration. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I mean, when I write it down, I'm like doesn't seem like that big a word but yeah. when you when you hear it it sounds fantastic <laughs> yeah so that's really characterized by things like rumination and worry right so just running over and over <laughs> again um like worry about the future or kind of playing in your mind like mistakes from the past would be more rumination um but at the same time so like in a way that means you're really kind of like engaging with those negative emotions right um but people who did that also tended to engage in what we call experiential avoidance. And that is just trying to get rid of whatever you're feeling, just like not um, wanting it to just go away. Hmm. And so, and it, this kind of makes sense theoretically in that often when people ruminate or worry, they, they want to or maybe are doing it in part to feel differently or feel better but it has this kind of paradoxical effect of just keeping them more stuck and then the more they want to get rid of that you know the more they ruminate and um it, there's this kind of feedback loop where uh it just keeps those bad emotions going that people are trying to get rid of hmm. and what's engagement look like so engagement is uh things like um seeking social support um, reappraisal, I think was another one. 
And then, you know, I'm actually remembering now we did find a fourth factor of, um, what do we call this one? Emotional expression. So this was more like not trying to hide what you're feeling and reaching out to people and trying to talk with them about it. Hmm. As we went through them, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm a disengager. And then I'm like, oh, no, I do <laughs> aversive cognitive. Per- <laughs> I, I keep yeah. on want- wanting to say persevering, <laughs> which is a totally different thing. Right. Um, and then uh, related, I guess. And then uh, but I do the engaging. I, I would say I do all three of those things pretty equally. Yeah. And I think that's they're not so much like, you know, you're in this category or the other. It's just. Um, some people may tend to use some of these more than others, but really we probably all use some of them at certain times, right? And that, that kind of gets at um, a current uh, movement in this literature and this research to think less about, well, it's not necessarily that like this strategy is good and this one is bad. It's more how does it fit the particular situation? So there may be some situations where like reframing it and reappraising what's happening is really good. But there may be others where that's not going to be so helpful and maybe distraction is going to, you know, uh, really help you accomplish whatever change of emotion you're trying to accomplish. Hmm. So this kind of more like sensitive, like um, we all kind of tailor what we do and how we respond to emotions to the particular situation and that maybe we need to study it in this more nuanced manner. So you find that engaging works the best for people so basically overall that has uh the most positive effects what what's what's that mean what are what are the positive effects like speed of which people are working through the negative emotions or is this like measured in terms of their overall well-being over yeah you can kind of look at it different ways so one way to see it is well how successful mm-hmm. were you in changing your emotion right you wanted to change it in some way mm-hmm. were you able to do that so, you know, on average, again, it, it might vary across situations, but um, more like engaging or approach type strategies tend to be more effective in changing that emotion. But we can also look at it kind of bigger picture with how does it relate to well-being, to symptom levels, things like depression, anxiety, um, just to the person's mood, like how much positive or negative affect they're experiencing. Mm. Um, and so let's all just get at different components of sort of like psychological functioning for well-being the the ruminating one i mean that's uh oh those are some brutal loops yeah um but i can sort of see you know playing back enough times i mean i I just had oh this is probably all out of order uh when these episodes are released but i i just did one on on uh, memory and spacing mm-hmm. and kind of spacing things out as a, as a way of retaining things. And and I can see how kind of reassessing things where you screwed up or things that you wish had gone differently over time and playing them back uh, once in a while and maybe mm-hmm. with a fresh set of eyes. I can see a lot of benefit in doing that. For sure. Yeah. But the looping in the moment where you don't have a fresh set of eyes, you're just looking yeah. at it over and over and over again, and it's just like in your face. That's just more of like this self-punishment kind of yeah. situation going on. And and that seems such a, um, you know, people uh, with uh, that self-harm or even people that I just, just the 
what's going on with and i know not every single thing needs to have like an adaptive value and there's byproducts and Mm -hmm. everything else and um but it seems from from kind of a selfish gene point of view it, it doesn't seem that great for any individual organism to say hate itself you know right. and, th- and there's and there's all sorts of you know there's egocentrism all over the place and that makes sense and people overestimate how good they are at things and and you know okay confidence benefits you in social situations so you might be driven to think that you're smarter or funnier or whatever mm-hmm. than you actually okay that makes sense but why hate yourself like why (laughs) why like wanna sometimes i want to uh you know that when when you like the cliche when someone says something stupid and they go don't like hit their hit their forehead yeah it's weird that you'd hit your for i mean i haven't seen anyone actually like (laughs) but there's the inclination to want to do that and it's almost it's funny that the prefrontal cortex is there too which is like which is uh, yeah. <laughs> which is an inhibiting it's kind of like your monkey brain's trying to take out the boss <laughs> um, so that you can punish yourself or something but it's just so why have why even consider suicide because i've heard some people say like well from an evolutionary perspective there's like this bargaining if you're kind of suicidal you might or seemingly suicidal or faking it or whatever you might you might then get more attention from mm-hmm. uh from the group or so, but that just doesn't it, i i know that that can work in certain situations but it also doesn't ring true with the just run-of-the-mill suicidal thought yeah uh you, you yeah. know and what is the adaptive uh it seems so strange that you'd even have the thought in the first place they're certainly not uncommon for people i i don't know i i think it's just uh my take recently uh pure purely speculating is that i think it's just there's something more nuanced going on and and you know your your subconscious is trying to convey information to your consciousness in this limited way and it's almost like this this way of like if we're playing charades or something and I need to act out anger, I do this like very dramatized cartoonish version of anger, even though anger is a much more nuanced emotion, but I want you to guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I wonder if a, the in our inner worlds are kind of like using the visual system to... Uh, to get these little uh, you have like one picture to <laughs> to right. get a message through Be to really your consciousness yeah. to and maybe it's just trying to say like hey if you keep on going in this direction you're slowly killing yourself or something like that but it looks like mm-hmm. uh, an image of you jumping off of a cliff or something like that you know very dark and dramatic yeah yeah i mean i think it's it's complicated because there's so many reasons why people might seek to either self-harm or uh, be suicidal. And th- mm. there's some distinction between the two, right? There's self-harming uh, without really intending to end end your life versus uh, wanting to end things. So, but I guess what maybe they have in common or might make some sense evolutionarily is a escape from some sort of pain or suffering, right? Mm. So you know, fairly clear how that might be with suicide and with self-harm, even that can be thought of, um, at least for some people, as a way to regulate emotions, right? There are people for whom 
that's something that can really alter the emotional pain they're in. Oh, pain focuses the mind. Yep. That's, that's yep. for sure. I've had many injuries in life, not intentionally, um, but uh, boy, it, it sure, a, a lot of the other issues in your life go away yeah, when you've it, just like broken a bone or something like that. Right. So yeah, I think um, <laughs> there's a sense in which it can, there can be, feel a sense of control around that when maybe it's lacking, you know, in other elements of one's life or experience. So, you know, I think there are ways to definitely understand or in a particular context, it makes sense that the person might have this impulse, um, despite it obviously, you know, not being a, the best way to cope with it, certainly not in the long term. Hmm. All right, back to engagement. Yeah. If this works so well, so everyone's listening right now. They're like, great, I'm going to engage more. <laughs> uh, is this something you can train yourself to do and and use more of that strategy? Yeah, I think it is. And I mean, I think that's some types of therapy would focus on that. So doing things like, um, you know, seeking out support, um, using acceptance or mindfulness, um, being able to reframe the situation to some degree, those are skills that can be developed, right? And you can be intentional about, you know, your impulse is to just avoid and put that off. But okay, is there a way I can respond differently to this? Um, but I, I guess the really tricky thing is, like I said earlier, that those are often good ways to do it, but certain situations might require different things. And so having that knowing the best way to go about trying to change your emotion in a particular situation is not straightforward, um, nor is it even straightforward to know, like, is it a good thing to even try to change this emotion, right? Maybe sometimes, like, that's more the problem in and of itself is that if you just let that emotion be there, that might end up being a lot more adaptive than um, feeling this drive or need to exert control over it or change it. Mm. <laughs> so that's, that's one thing I kind of struggle with as a researcher is just, like, there's just so much complexity there. And how do we accurately capture what's going on for people in a way that that is still amenable to like, you know, having a simpler model and kind of boiling that down? What about something like awkwardness? Like that mm -hmm. about I mean, it's something that I experience <laughs> all of the time. I'm not uh I'm 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 decent at podcasting in in everyday life. I can be a little socially awkward. Mm -hmm. I, I have a... As some social anxiety um, here and there. I, is that? I mean, is that a is that a real signal of of like some adept? Oh, it, it, like move into that, explore that <laughs> right. awkwardness. Now, like, what am I? What am I supposed to do with yeah. that? Does it? <laughs> yeah, know? I think it really depends. I mean, I guess sometimes it might be like a signal to like do something differently next yeah. time, right, or work on it, but. The, the thing is, even like if an emotion isn't particularly helpful at that time, uh, what we know is that often like struggling against it just, just increases work. it, uh, you know? Yeah, so it's yeah. more it's like, like, okay, just let that do its thing. Right. Let it fade away in its own time it's, rather than interfering. It's like uh, I, I often, so I, I blush really easily, mm -hmm. and but 
but the thing that's embarrassing is people knowing that you're embarrassed. Right. And it's then you're aware of that, right? And, and then you that, blush more. And, and then, yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so now I just acknowledge it immediately, yeah. right? Right yeah. from the, right from the get go. I, I usually I'll have, if it happens on air, I'll just have my guest describe the color of my face <laughs> to the audience for them. Um, but it, oh, why did I bring that up? Shoot. I had a whole point I was going to make. Um, and a question, gosh, darn it. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I, I think one thing that I do well and, and I have a kind of question about maybe sometimes taking, if, if there's ways in which we can take this too far, but one thing is all of my friends, when they ask me how I'm doing and I say, good, they know <laughs> that I am doing good <laughs> uh -huh. because I definitely am sometimes way too honest for people. And I, I will, if someone asks me how I'm doing, I always tell them exactly how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the best. Uh, okay, but a lot of times people thank me afterwards or I found other, I, I've even had friends Tell me they're like, oh, I start I started doing that. Yeah. Like when someone asks me how, how I'm doing, if I'm not feeling good, I'll just tell people mm -hmm. that I'm not doing great at the moment. And I definitely for all of the bad coping mechanisms that I have in my life, that's something that I like and I value. Yeah. My question is can you go too far with this? Can you can you you know, I'm great that we live in a society where people aren't just being dismissed and we're not doing the pull up your bootstraps thing. Mm -hmm. And this is, everyone gets sad once in a while, you know, just go through it or, or don't talk about it or whatever. But then there must, I mean, there has, you know, we have cases where we overindulge yeah. in, in our emotions and, and we do, I mean, you don't need to like bum everyone in the office <laughs> out like every day because of your thing mm -hmm. um it, you know because there's there's the two one we shouldn't have we shouldn't be expected to be like cheerleaders around the office every right. single day but then i get that you don't want just like the sad person every single day that like you're feeling like you're having to pick them up and manage them so uh how how does one find a uh, healthy balance there? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, I mean, I guess one way to think about it is just like being aware of, right, the context and like sort of when is a time that's conducive to that or like what are other people's needs, um, but also maybe like call it like the function of why you're doing that, right? Like sometimes um, it may be you just really want to share, you think it'd be helpful. Sometimes it may be more like venting, which feels a little bit different. And again, I'm not sure it's like as simple as like that way is good and this other way is bad, but maybe just paying attention to those various factors. And I think that's about the best we can do because there is no like rubric for this, you know? So it's like trying to have an awareness and notice maybe the impact it has on you and other people. And but I don't know. It's a lot to think about every time someone asks you how you're doing, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at some point, it certainly is. So I have my guests each week plug a nonprofit of their choice. Did you have one in mind? Yeah, um, I wanted to make a plug for the SPCA, Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, um, and honor my my dog who passed away recently. So. Oh, 
Oh, that's wonderful. I miss her. But I yes. mean, that's not wonderful, yeah. but the it's a great organization. She's a rescue dog, so. Um. Oh my goodness! I just thought of something that I can't believe we didn't. It, you have a little time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, uh, oh, this might be a short answer anyway. But the holidays are approaching. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. We're celebrating <laughs> this and that. <laughs> our be various happy. beliefs. We're getting together with our with our families. We've been looking forward to this for for months. Yep. What's going on with the holiday depression? These, uh, I mean, there's huge rates of suicide. There's all sorts of uh, horrible family conflict, and yeah, uh, is it? Are we just? Are we just expecting? Are, maybe we're just building it up too much. We're just expecting a little bit too much out of life. Like this is gonna be great. We're all yeah. gonna get together. We're gonna get all these, and then. Yeah, I think that's partly it's sort of a contrast effect, right? For mm-hmm. like we have such high expectations or maybe assuming everyone else is like so happy and with, you know, everything's great with their families uh, that any uh, deviations from that really stand out. Um, but also I think it's, you know, it's a time when a lot of people are with family. Maybe they're not always with and there's just stress that goes along with that to varying degrees, uh, even in good situations, right? So it's something that like, when I'm doing therapy with someone, like, you know, usually you're going to miss some sessions, right? Well, people are like away over the holidays or whatever. So pretty standardly, we'll kind of talk through, okay, what do you anticipate, you know, will come up for you kind of emotionally over your holiday plans? And like, are there ways we can think about kind of coping with that? Because mm. it, it's just so common. Man, a lot of suicide on the holidays. Yeah. It's guys, if you're out there, I, I mean, wait till may at least like just just see what happens i bet when the sun comes out maybe by that time yeah. things have turned around a, a little bit yeah. don't do anything rash um but it is uh yeah i, I don't know maybe it's maybe it's also that a lot of people don't maybe like the holidays mm-hmm. as, as much as they i i don't think that i, I think the Suicide is probably that it's feeling very disappointed and uh, around that time. But but I think that that part of the other anxiety is just like a lot of people just feel obligated to participate and aren't aren't really that into it. And it's just like now you're spending a bunch of money that you don't have and and everything else. Yeah. Well, and in at least some parts of the country, you know, uh, things like seasonal affective disorder symptoms can be a part of that too. Yeah. So kind of probably uh, a a few things coming together by the time listeners are hearing this i am in the south for all of winter <laughs> the way to I go. Am, i'm doing everything that i can to combat my depression this year and i i don't it feels like i got some seasonal stuff going on i think i'm just i think i can just slip into depression fairly easily and so whatever i can do to yeah. do think get more sun in my life or exercise more do whatever throw whatever i can at it um seems to help this year we'll go from the Buffalo win- winter to um, it'll be the height of summer in Australia in January. Yeah. So that'll be weird. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, when do you leave? Uh, early January. Very cool. 
Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Kristen Narragan Ganey. I say I said it right That's again. That's right. You got okay. it. Okay. Yep. Oh, the, the three three names. I'm the worst of names. Um, but yeah, you were absolutely terrific. Such important subject matter. Something near and dear uh, to my heart, and my audience always has a lot of positive. Um, feedback and, and is always very appreciative for these uh, episodes as well so I know they dug this so thank you for your time thank and you it's great good luck with you. in Australia thank you congratulations <laughs> sorry Buffalo but Australia is better um, all right listeners thank you so much for being such wonderful curious people we'll talk at you more next week Next week on the Here We Are podcast, Amy Schmidt. We've been pushing this one back a couple weeks now because of some really timely episodes, but this one is fantastic. So much anticipated Amy Schmidt talking about the evolution of the new understanding of some of our evolutionary past and some fun little organisms, archaea, that are all the rage these days and really cool stuff make sure and check out head talks is launching this week it's happening starting in lincoln nebraska on the 5th everybody it is i'm so excited for this then we head to wichita oklahoma city dallas and austin head talks if you're just tuning in it's a psychedelic version of stand-up science so it's half comedy half science all about psychedelics i have sophia rockland one of the single best communicators and presenters i have ever seen she's tagging along on these five cities to uh talk about her new book when plants dream all about ayahuasca really fantastic check that book out by the way it is um it is the most thorough examination of every different take that there is on ayahuasca and a really really balanced uh view and so check that out um these shows if if they do really well um you know it's uh, going going everywhere already lining up a bunch of dates for february those will be announced very soon already have dates confirmed contracts up and everything we're just creating the ticket links and whatnot so so make sure and keep up with that you can always join my email list you throw your zip code in there and then you know you're not going to be missing out so um again check out head talks go to shanemoss.com and going through lincoln nebraska wichita oklahoma city dallas and austin even if you don't live there yourself and you know anyone that does it's going to be amazing there's going to be special guests in dallas oklahoma city and austin and so please 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 support that show um i think it's going to be a pretty big deal i my prediction is it's going to be bigger than uh, a good trip tour and stand-up science combined that's what i'm hoping for it uh, it has a lot of potential and i can't wait to do it so hope to see you guys there hope you'll spread the word for me and those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorites
Audio. A, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.